This holiday season, give the gift of liberty. Join the Cato Institute's podcast sponsor program. Special benefits begin at just $17.76 a month. See what I did there? And deliver the benefits of the Cato Institute sponsorship to friends and family as well. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to learn more. At $1,000, I'll personally thank you, if you like, or the person you designate on the Cato Daily Podcast. It's a great way to support liberty and our daily output here at the Cato Daily Podcast. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to learn more. And as always, thank you for listening. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, December 8th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Congress is now pondering legislation to ban so-called bump stocks, but what else does it ban? And what would be the likely impacts of a federal reciprocity statute that would allow your gun permit to function in other states? The House just passed legislation providing for that reciprocity. The Cato Institute's Dave Kopel comments. Shortly after the uh, shooting in Las Vegas that uh, killed dozens of people, there was this new term that sort of permeated popular consciousness, which was bump stocks. And this is a device that you attach to uh, certain firearms that allows them to very, very quickly uh, make, make use of that recoil to uh, fire the next round. And uh, Congress is sort of puzzling over exactly how to deal with this and whether or not you agree that uh, it's something worth uh, regulating more stringently. The language that members of Congress would like to use seems fairly restrictive. Is that about right? Uh, yes. I was testifying uh, uh, this morning in the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, and that, that's one of the bills we talked about was uh, Senator Feinstein's bill on this, which uh, sort of has a starts with a reasonable concept but is, is, uh, is poorly written and, uh, and goes way too far. All right. Start with that reasonable concept. Um, I think if something fire, makes a normal gun fire as fast as an automatic, commonly called a machine gun, uh, then it is reasonable that that device gets regulated at the same level as a machine gun. Uh, in the United States, under federal law in 37 states, you can own a machine gun, but the process you go through is uh, a tax and registration system run by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. You need 10-point fingerprints. It takes months, I mean, typically over half a year or more, and you pay a special $200 tax to do it. And the, the guns that are in that system um, are virtually never used for crime. So it, it's fair that if, if a gun, a device like the, the bump stock, uh, turns a gun into a, a de facto machine gun, um, that it, it be subject to a similar process. What kind of, uh, I guess, overbroad language is used in order to attempt to make sure that you've drawn a bump stock sized circle around the thing that you are trying to regulate? Well, uh, the Feinstein bill would be actually a complete prohibition. The only thing people could do was 180 days after enactment is they can destroy their property, which would probably have the effect of driving things into the black market um, rather than offering a a lawful registration process. Uh, But the odd thing is the bill doesn't even define a bump stock. It says you can't 
possess a bump fire device, but never tells you what one of those is. Likewise, says no trigger crank uh, without defining that. Um, and then says, oh, by the way, we also ban anything that is designed or functions to accelerate the rate of fire of a semi-automatic rifle. Well, that is a catch-all that basically prohibits most gunsmithing, um, or certainly a, a huge amount of gunsmithing. For, for example, every trigger on a firearm is set for a certain amount of pressure. How many pound, foot-pounds of energy do you need to use to move the trigger? The fact trigger might come from the factory with a six-pound trigger pull. You want to reduce that uh, to, say, four pounds because maybe your, your hands aren't as strong as the average person. You, you take it to a gunsmith and the gunsmith repair, uh, switches out some internal springs and things like that, and now your six-pound gun has a four-pound uh, trigger pull. And that will accelerate the rate of fire. Now, it's probably by less than a tenth of a second, uh, you know, it may be, instead of taking 1.2 seconds to pull the trigger, maybe it takes 1.1 second or something in that vicinity, but that's captured by the Feinstein bill because it did accelerate the rate of fire of the, the semi-automatic rifle. All other kinds of normal modifications, um, firearms are operated by expanding gases. Uh, the, some of the gas goes forward, some of the gas energy comes backward as uh, felt as recoil energy and some, some just kind of dissipates elsewhere. So anything that improves the efficiency of the gas operating system in a gun will necessarily uh, make it fire faster. If a gun is more stable, then the user has better control over it and can fire it faster. So... Um, some rifles have a, a forward grip, so that instead of having to grab underneath the uh, uh, the barrel or the uh, the slide or something like that, and instead of grabbing the, a wooden forend, you instead grab a uh, grip, sort of like that looks like kind of like a handgun grip that comes with a rifle, and that that adds stability uh, for the shooter, so they can control the gun, be more accurate, careful. Well, that increases the rate of fire. You can fire more uh, faster if the gun is is in a stable situation. Likewise, you take that factory forward grip and replace it with a custom grip that, that's molded to fit your particular hand. You've just added stability, and you've therefore increased the rate of fire. You know, we can go on and on about I mean, things that, that reduce the how much recoil the shooter feels. That's going to help the shooter keep the, the rifle stable and keep it on target and be able to, to accelerate the rate of fire, uh, as the Feinstein bill does. What should Congress be doing? Congress should pass a bill that says uh, bump stocks are now in the national, and it should define specifically what they are, say they're part of the National Firearms Act registration system. Uh, we create a amnesty period for people to register them for free if they want to, and that bill should only be about bump stocks and should not have this ridiculous language uh, that would, in, in essence, make the ATF into the National Gunsmithing uh, Control Agency, where every possible firearms modification would have to be approved or disapproved by ATF. Is it a mistake that uh, this language is is so broad? You know, I know in, in popular media, we see people misusing 
terms relating to guns and for people who are aficionados uh, of guns and the Second Amendment, they sort of recoil in horror at at how these words are being thrown around and misused by people who would like to uh, engage in broad prohibitions. Oh, that's yes, that's that's a constant problem. Uh, people say, you know, oh, I want to have a bill about assault weapons, which is a term that has no real meaning. And so, the uh, one of the early assault weapon bans uh, enacted by New Jersey, I believe, in um, 1989, uh, even outlawed some BB guns and air guns, which are not most what most people consider to be assault weapons. It's always been, um, you, you name one thing that sounds good in a, in a media blurb, but then you write the bill uh, so it's, it's vastly larger. You know, you can go back to the, the early 1970s when Congress was passing, uh, didn't enact, but there was a big push uh, to ban Saturday night specials, so-called. And then you read the actual text of the bill, and even some media reports said, well, technically this bill on Saturday night specials would outlaw two-thirds of all handguns. So th- this happens all the time. Senator Feinstein, I'd, I'd say to her credit, um, in the hearing after this had been brought up, uh, did say she wasn't wedded to any any particular definition. So um, if she would replace her definition with something that was just about bump stocks and define what bump stocks are, uh, that would that would make it much better. There, there's still the issue of grandfathering to be ad- addressed. Uh, as well, though, what is the the difference now? Uh, this event in Las Vegas was was horrific. It was uh, one of, if not the worst, uh, such event uh, undertaken by a private entity in U.S. history. Um, so, what has has anything really changed other than this narrow uh, discussion with relation to bump stocks? Well, the the gun prohibition forces always want to use every. Uh, atrocious crime uh, to promote every possible anti-gun position, you know, sometimes regardless of of logic or anything else like that. I mean, so for for example, uh, the House of Representatives today is going to be voting on a bill for uh, interstate carry reciprocity so that your your permit to carry a gun in your state would function like a like your driver's license already does. You can you can go use it in other states, of course, complying with all the, the laws about of the Visiting visited state about you know maybe some zones are off limits things like that you know maybe some guns you're not allowed to carry you can argue for or against that but the anti-gun lobbies are saying well oh, you can't pass this because of Las Vegas or because of the attack on the churchgoers in Sutherland Springs uh, Texas and that doesn't make any sense at all you know those are two separate things and people with license licenses to carry are among the most law-abiding part of the population. Um, probably, actually, data show about as law-abiding as police officers uh, overall, um, you know, very rarely involved in, in committing a, a gun crime. So whatever objections you'd have on, on interstate reciprocity for, for licensed carry, uh, it seems kind of crazy uh, to use the Las Vegas crime, for example, as a pretext against that. I mean, that was after all the criminal, the guns were only in his hotel room. He, he wasn't carrying them anywhere. States have the primary power for law enforcement in the United States of America. 
to what extent does, would reciprocity, the idea that uh, your gun permit would function in largely the same manner as a, a driver's license, what does that do to, to states with respect to their ability to govern what kinds of guns are allowed? It means they have to live up to what are the privileges or immunities, uh, constitutional guarantees uh, that are uh, come from Article 4 of the original Constitution and then from Section 1 of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. And as the Supreme Court has explained in cases like Sayens versus Roe, a uh, 1997 decision, I think, 7-2 decision written by Justice Stevens, the part of the point of us being a united states of America, of the equality of the states and the reciprocal rights of all citizens as they move around the country, is that when you go into a, uh, a different state, you have a right to be treated as a welcome visitor and not, as a, and not treated hostilely and not subjected to special discrimination without some kind of substantial reason. So in particular, most states in this country uh, issue all, – all states in this country have a statutory procedure for issue, issuing handgun carry permits. Most states have reciprocity agreements with at least some other states uh, to say, oh, we recognize your permit and you'll recognize us. Or some states like Virginia to say we recognize everybody, period. A few rogue states – have no reciprocity, they won't recognize any out-of-state permit, and they have no procedure by which a non-resident can even apply for a permit to carry when they're visiting that state. New York, New Jersey, and California are the notorious for this. And New Jersey has had a huge problem of people in Pennsylvania where they grant permits like most of the country does to law-abiding adults who, who pass certain objective criteria. You know, somebody in New Jersey, somebody in, in a Pennsylvanian crosses into New Jersey and, you know, maybe commits some traffic offense, and then there's the lawfully possessed gun in their car in terms of Pennsylvania law. Well, it turns out it's a felony in New Jersey with a mandatory sentence. That's abusive of the ability of people in this country to be able to move around freely. Uh, and in the the example you cite with respect to New Jersey, that's not hypothetical. That oh no, Shanine Allen was the most famous example of that, but that occurs all the time in New Jersey. And you know the same thing in, in New York. If, if you're someone who maybe doesn't live in New York, but you you visit New York, or maybe you have to travel into New York for business frequently, New York won't even let you apply for a permit. You know they uh, there there's no process at all. Uh, for a person, and they might be a person, you know, maybe they're, uh, you know, a pharmaceutical representative, so they're carrying around drugs, or whatever reason, they they might be at particularly high risk of criminal victimization. New York doesn't allow, period, any applications. So this is a, I think, a restoration of federalism in the sense that that states, of course, do have, and properly, lots of autonomy in their policies, but there there comes a limit at which you, you can't be so harshly unfair uh, to, to non-residents. Dave Kopel is an associate policy analyst at the Cato Institute. This holiday season, support the Cato podcast and the broad mission of the Cato Institute by visiting cato.org slash podcast sponsor. 
and learn more about the benefits of sponsorship. That's cato.org slash podcast sponsor.